I'm Walter Squires, and this is Tuesday Night Live, and I am thankful to be with you. I really am. And I say that every time because I mean it. I'm just grateful that the Lord provides me these opportunities to teach His Word. And I hope that it's helpful and instructive to you to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord, come to know Him deeper, go deeper, put those roots down deeper so that you can bear more fruit if you're in Christ. And for those who are not in Christ, that you hear something that the Holy Spirit will use to help you make that decision for Christ. And we'll come back to that as we close. Let me pray us in. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Thank you for the things that you taught us last time, that challenging message about evil and about Satan and demons and the impact that they have in the world, first their reality and the impact they have in this world. I pray God tonight as we move to softer words, comfort and hope, that we would find both. And that as Christians, we'd be able to give both. And so now help us to lean in and listen hard to what the Holy Spirit has for us, that we might look and love and live more like Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. All right, so last time we talked about this part one of deliver us from the evil one. And I'm only going to, I'm, I'm only going to spend a couple of minutes reviewing that part of it. I worked very diligently that evening and then all the yesterday. And so every single one of those, uh, the, the videos edited and posted on the website and on YouTube channel, um, the audio podcast, if you will, the audio file version, that's also posted. And also the written, my notes, the written part of that, part one, is also there. So you can find all of that if you go to onlyjesus.life. You'll find all of those there. If you go to the YouTube site, in addition, you'll find the video sitting there as well. Hope you'll do that. Onlyjesus.life, L-I-F-E. It's an interesting introduction, and Jesus was pretty strong. We looked at three different verses in the Gospel of John, <clears throat> excuse me, where he told us basically that Satan is the ruler of this world. He repeated it three times. Just below that, we saw where the Apostle Paul referred to him, the God of this world, the God of this world. And, and the Apostle Peter, when he wrote one of his epistles, he called him a liar and a deceiver, that lion looking to devour, a roaring lion looking to devour us, to devour people. That's evil. That's evil personified, and Satan is real. And I did my very best to help convince you of that. Not my own convincing in words, but the words of Jesus and the words throughout the scripture from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Satan is talked about, mentioned often by name. Real demons are real, fallen angels. You need to know that. You need to believe it. We don't live in, if we're in Christ, we don't live in fear of it, but we understand it. We do not take it for granted or toy with it at all or act flippantly about that. We do not. And so I really want to encourage you to go watch that video or listen to that audio so you get the full message there. It's really important that we do that. Now, tonight, we're transitioning because when I when I was developing that message, it was the oddest thing to me, the Holy Spirit. We went from Satan and evil, pure personified evil, because we were um, it was in honor and remembrance of 9-11, because that's when I wrote it or began writing it or finished up. And then I taught it on the 12th, the, the day after, that these were the next two words that came make a lot of sense to me, but they are really kind of the opposite of all this evil and all the destruction and the violence and the tragedy and the terrorism, all those things. 
they're the words that we need post 9-11 or post any tragedy, and they are words of comfort and hope. So let's talk about this. Now, comfort, you know, I don't know how you would define it if you looked up in a dictionary, but it's basically that thing or something that we can transfer to someone else when something like this happens, when these tragedies occur, and there have been many in our lifetimes, huge ones like 9-11, going back to our parents' generation, you know, uh, Pearl Harbor and, um, you know, those in World War II lived through all that, the Holocaust and horrible, awful major global issues. We're dealing now with the global issues of the virus and now the virus morphing into more viruses as they do. And a lot of people have suffered through that. Many have died. Many have suffered consequences after that. People want comfort. As Christians, our responsibility is to help comfort people. But before we get into that part of it, just let's just think for a minute about comforting people in general. Okay? You know, when I saw the pictures of some of these people, as you saw them as well, when they were played all the movies and the, the real-time videos during the, uh, the 9-11, during the attacks, right during them, people were covered with ash and soot and paper and, you know, just, they just, they were desperate for comfort. They were desperate for some kind of comfort. One, they wanted to live, but those who assumed that they had, you know, lived through the disaster that took down both of those towers, they were just desperate for comfort. They were looking for anything, anywhere that they could find something. And even on a lesser scale, when people are in need of comfort, you think about those things that we can all do for them, all of us, no matter what your background is, your religion or not, you know, the things that we do for people, we can just put an arm around someone and offer them comfort. We can, uh, we can sit with someone who's grieving and needs comfort and just hold their hand and sit with them and don't necessarily have to say anything. Just sometimes sitting there in silence with someone, just holding their hand is a good thing that provides some comfort. Um, people sometimes just need a hug. I mean, I know that's more difficult to do these days, and we live in such a world that's gotten so perverse, sometimes that's misconstrued, but sometimes just people need a hug. They just need a, a hug and a good word. Jesus in Matthew, what was it, Matthew 10, 42, Jesus talked about giving someone that cup of cold water. It was interesting because many times on those videos as I was watching uh, victims coming out of the buildings, and especially the, the first responders, the policemen and the firemen, they were just desperate to find a cup of water, a bottle of water, something that they could wet their mouths with, their lips, rinse off all this stuff. Just that little bit of water all of a sudden became this premium and it provided them some comfort and it gave them some relief. Now, here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with everything that I mentioned and every one of those is a valid means of comforting someone who's in distress. Whether they've lost a loved one, whether they've suffered some catastrophe, and sometimes even on a smaller scale, people want comfort. And everything that I mentioned there is valid. But here's the problem with those, with every single one of them. They're all temporal. They're all temporal, temporary. They do not last. They don't last. That will go away. That's oftentimes what happens with victims of whether it's crimes or tragedies or things like that. 
there's a great big surge to be around them to offer comfort and help. Maybe it's physical help, cleaning up, doing things, debris things that we see all the time. People are very helpful. Many people, very helpful, very kind, very sympathetic and very comforting. But after the kind of the aftermath and after the um, the main event, if you will, dies down and the news trucks go away and there's not as much attention paid to it, people tend to go away as well. And, and they're left with these things. And so all that stuff that came to comfort them is no longer there. And so many are left wondering, well, what's next? Where do they find comfort then? See, comfort can be a temporal thing. And it is in the cases that I mentioned. Now, as Christians, um, we need to do the same things here. Often this, this, these temporal things are absolutely the right thing to do in time of need. There's not one of them that isn't a marvelous thing to do. And sometimes it's giving money, contributing to a cost to help with the rescue and, and someone else that will go and get comfort. We can't get there. Maybe it's overseas. Maybe it's like in Haiti where there those earthquakes all the time. And we support a couple of uh, little girls in Haiti and have for number of years now, we try to help with those things. And, and here at home, the devastation of the hurricanes that we have, and there are a lot of those, and um, earthquakes, mostly out west, and different places, fires out west. You know, we're trying to help and provide comfort, and we need to do that. We absolutely need to do that. And, and one of the things that people in, in churches, people in, in the Christian world, some, some disagree on this. And so I'm just going to lay this out there for you the way that I think the Holy Spirit has put it in my heart. And you can take that for what it's worth. Because as Christians, we do need to do all these things. We need to be the hands and feet of Jesus, the hands and feet, not just the mouthpiece. Because, you know, my gifts uh, in terms of my ministry gifts are mouthpiece, speaker. I'm a messenger of God. That's what I do. I just study and teach his word. But I'm also involved in helping with the physical side of things, you know, I've been involved with different ministries for, I don't know, 40 plus years doing different things. I'm less prone to be the one doing some of the physical things than others. And others are drawn into that because that's where they feel like they can help the most and the quickest. And so they're all correct. And one of the things we want to avoid on the front end is that we're just talking to them and preaching, 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 because I'm a preacher evangelist kind of a guy. I can get really wound up and do that. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's my gifting and calling. And the Holy Spirit demands that I do that. But there's a time and a place to do that and not to do that. When it comes to comforting people, they don't want to be beat over the head with the Bible. And that's absolutely true. And we need to be mindful of that, especially people that are wired like I am. A lot of you are not. And so that's not going to be an issue you're much more likely to sit there and just hold their hand and comfort them and you know, try to comfort them, try to find some words. But the challenge is this. If you're comforting people that you know have no relationship with the Lord, either don't believe in God or believe in a, a God, but not the God of the Bible, then trying to figure out ways to comfort people like that Meaningfully, besides these temporal ones, it's not possible without getting into the comfort that we know. And so that's why I think the Holy Spirit leads us into that conversation. Maybe it's not then. Maybe it's another time. Again, that's between you and the Lord. 
but let me give it to you this way. So if I knew that what you needed for comfort was a you know bottle of water, I'd get you a bottle of water and give that to you because you're really, really thirsty. And I could just see that your you know your lips are puckered and you've been without, maybe you've been in the fire, or maybe you've been out, you know, stranded somewhere. I'm giving you what you need, what I know will help you right then. But it's not gonna last, is it? But if I knew that I could give you what will last, why wouldn't I give you that? You remember Jesus with the woman at the well when he was in Samaria, and he sat down, his disciples went in to town to buy food, and um, he asked the Samaritan woman to draw him up some water. And she was shocked because she knew he was a Jew and a rabbi. And she said, what are you doing talking to me? Because Jews were so racially biased and prejudiced in that day Samaritans were the half Jews, the mixed breeds. They had nothing to do with them. Some would even walk around the perimeter of the country or the region just so they didn't have to go through where the Samaritans were. And so Jesus has that dialogue with us familiar. But Jesus said, you know, if, if you'd asked me, I could have given you living water so that you would never, ever be thirsty again. And that confused us. She said, well, wait a minute, then, then give me some of that water. And he began to talk about himself. He never missed these opportunities because he knew that the most important thing he could offer to comfort someone beyond the temporal comforts of that uh, water dipped from Jacob's well was the comfort that he alone could bring. And so that's why we as Christians have to be mindful. It is the key part of it. Now, there's a, often a progression leading up to that. Again, we're not beating people over the head with the Bible and we're not going in there and immediately starting down that path. That's why so many ministries focus on helping meet these physical needs. They go to countries and places where they need to meet those physical needs, meet those needs. They do. The ones that we support and get involved with also, they don't stop there, though, because, again, that hunger, that thirst, whatever that is, is going to come back as soon as they run out of those trucks of water, those trucks of food. And it's just a horrible, awful situation. But we go do what we can. But they don't stop there. And Christian, we need not stop there. Christian ministries don't stop there. If you're not offering them what Jesus said, the, he's the living water, what he said, my, my body is the bread of life. You'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. That's the only comfort that we can offer people that goes beyond the hug, the arm around, uh, the, the kind words or whatever we can think of to say, which is always awkward. It's comfort, and it's the only real comfort. I shared with you last time before we wrapped up this piece, and I'm going to do it again as we move on to uh, our last point. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3, 4, and 5, this is an amazing passage, few, short, short few verses I, I memorized years ago. When I, it, it's, it, it's kind of long for me to hold on to, so I have to go back and rememorize it sometimes. But I shared this with you last time. If you weren't with us, let me share it with you again. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, I'm just the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be, to we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, and listen to this, kind of a tongue twister, that we may be able to comfort anyone else in their afflictions with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted 
through Christ. And then Paul goes on to write, and our sufferings have been in abundance as well, so also our comfort will be abundant in Christ. To use six times, the word comfort is used six times in those few verses. But he's talking about the kind of comfort that can only come through Christ. That's a comfort that can come alongside. It is the way those of us who, and you've all been through things. If you're, I don't care whether you're a longtime Christian or baby Christian, if you're born again in Christ, you've still been through things where you are, are afflicted, suffering, maybe something tragic, awful happened, automobile wreck. I mean, whatever it is, all kinds of things happen to people. They don't stop when you become a Christian. Life doesn't automatically get better and everything's wonderful. And anyone who teaches that about Christianity is telling you a bunch of lies. It's not the truth. We've all been tested. Gigi and I were tested mightily early in our marriage when we were trying to get pregnant, have babies, and she had three early-term miscarriages. And, and then the fourth baby girl was um, nine months of the day, was still born on her, on her due date. And we were devastated, and we were just, it was just, <laughs> it's hard to speak of even now all these years later. We've all gone through these things. You've lost a loved one unexpectedly. Sometimes, like with my mom's recent home going, um, it, was a, it was a blessing. It was a blessing and not mournful to me at all because I've been praying the Lord would take her for years because she was just in a bad place as we see it in this life physically and, and mentally. And, and a lot of you have been there. And if you're my age, you have older parents, some of you are right there now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because their comfort when she closed her eyes there for the last time, she's in eternal comfort, that eternal comfort. There'll never be any more discomfort in my mom's life, my dad's life, and anyone in your family, too, who's gone on before, who's born again in Christ. That is the comfort with which he's talking about that we need to comfort other people. Maybe it comes down to that, that verse that talks about always be ready in season now to give a reason for the hope that you have and we're going to transition to hope next. Always be ready to give a reason for the comfort that you have. How, how are you responding like that? I've known people who have gone through where they've had a husband and wife die of cancer and cancer that took a long, long time to really just eat away at the person, whether it's physically or mentally. And it's, oh my goodness, it's the hardest thing I've ever seen someone else have to go through. And I've had a couple of good friends and examples where, man, the Holy Spirit was just in them and in the person that was getting ready to go home because of the way they handled that. It was amazing. It was wonderful. It was an incredible testimony. And the, and the Lord God was glorified in their suffering, just as Jesus said that would happen. And he was glorified in his suffering. Paul talks about that. We need to be glorified in the sufferings that we can share with Christ. Look, in this country so far, we're not persecuted and suffering for our faith. Not yet. That's to come. But other people in other countries are. But we still suffer or have loved ones that suffer even to death. But we know that there's a comfort that only comes because we have that peace that passes all understanding. And we know that when our eyes finally do close, we will be in comfort forever. It's an eternal thing. We never have to worry about that again. And so that's why those of us, when we send someone home, whether it's a parent, a child, whoever it is, and we know they're in Christ, 
We're comfortable with that. We may mourn the loss and miss them, and we do. That's the human side. But we are comfortable that we know where they are because they are now in eternal comfort. And that's a great thing. And that's a great thing. And it's a good segue over to our last point of this message. Hope. Hope. You know, when when I saw these videos that were being replayed last weekend, especially all day Saturday, there were some new ones where they had put together different pieces of people's actual cameras. or I can't remember if phones had uh, cameras on them back then or not. To be honest with you, 2001, I, I, don't, I guess maybe they did. But there were a lot of different footage things and people had cameras or phone cameras and then cobbled these things together. And, and you could just see, and, and some of the news networks too that had gotten there, you saw some things that were just, they're still today, even to see them you know, 20 years later, unimaginable unimaginable. There were people, you know, in that first tower where the plane hit so high, people are trapped above the hundredth floor and all that. There were people who were jumping out of the windows that they broke open because those windows and those buildings do not open. And you know, if if you've been in an office building, the windows don't open. They're not supposed to. But there were people that were standing there and, and waving and, and watching and seeing the helicopters, but they knew they couldn't come get them. And and they, they weren't even sure what had happened. They didn't know what had happened. They didn't know there was a terrorist attack. or They just knew that their building had blown up below them and they couldn't get out through elevators or stairwells or anything else. And they were trapped 100 plus floors up. And a number of them jumped, jumped. Rather than burn to death or die of smoke inhalation, they just jumped. And, and you see the firemen standing there in utter disbelief and the policemen and others because no one had ever seen this before. This had never happened before. And so you're seeing these people, hopeless people, just giving up and jumping from 110 stories or 100 stories up in the air with no chance because they were going to meet death at ground zero. As soon as they got to ground zero, it was over. There was one that shared, a fireman that shared a story that I had not heard before where there was a man and a woman who just hugged each other. They were holding on to each other and they jumped together. And somehow they landed together and died together. But it's just the most hopeless thing I've ever seen in my life. Hopelessness is it's the end. When you lose hope, it's over. It is over, humanly speaking. Humanly speaking. But again... There's two kinds of hope, just like there are comfort. There's eternal hope and there's temporal hope. Let me give you an example of the temporal hope. And this is this is one of those words, I guess, of comfort and hope. A lot of people say this. Oh, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. No, it's not. No, it isn't. Don't tell somebody that. Or, you know, uh, it's always darkest before the dawn. All these kind of positive expressions most make you feel better and make you hopeful. People who place their hope in the world and other people are very, very often disappointed. And they kind of live from one disappointment to another because if you're expecting me to be your hope, even Gigi, my wife, we've been married 38 years now. Her hope is not in me. She hopes that I act and behave and do certain things because I'm her husband and we're both Christians. But if her hope was in me, 
and, and she'd be disappointed. And she is from time to time. She is because I don't live up to what I should do. And I fail at this or I fail at that. If you're hoping people or the world, well, the world's going to get better. It's all going to get better. This virus is going to pass. all going to get better. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not how it works. That's not what the word of God that I read and teach says. It doesn't say that. Let me give you three things that lost people have in common regarding hope. And I wrote these out. Uh, the, they, they hope to live a long, happy life apart from these tragedies and disease and stuff like that. They hope to live a long, happy life. I can't believe it ever made it to the radio, but it did years ago. Remember that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? That was a pleasant little song, and the guy would whistle and everything, and he'd play it on the radio a lot. Don't worry, be happy. That's a nice little tune. It is. It's a nice thought. Don't worry, be happy. That's a very nice thought. It's a pleasant thought. We should do more of that. We should. But then stuff happens. Then world stuff happens. The world gets in the way. People get in the way. All kinds of stuff happens, and that's not reality. The second one is this. They hope that this life will give them all they hope for. They hope this life will give them all they hope for, their dreams fulfilled. That's a good hope, that this life gives us all we hope for. And then I can accomplish my dreams. I can live the American dream or whatever that looks like now. This life will afford them not just happiness and longevity, free from disease and, and not being a victim of one of these horrible, awful things, but the life will just afford me my dream. I'll be able to live out my dream. That would be good. I'm hopeful for that, what they say. And then the one that really involved, this includes everyone except who truly is a, uh, an avowed atheist, probably includes most agnostics, but almost all these people that are lost still say they believe in God until you get them to define who he is or what he is and how he works and stuff. You find that most of the time it's themselves with a little G because we want God to be who we want, when we want. We want God to do what we want him to do, when we want him to do it. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. But nonetheless, people that say, I believe in God, this will be their final hopes. And, you know, I hope that when I die, I've been good enough to go to heaven. I've been good enough to go to heaven. And so those are the three things that I, I see that people who are lost, looking for hope, these are things to hope for. Those are all really good things to hope for. The problem is, they are temporal as well, and they are not fixed on anything. They're not based on truth. They're not fixed in the Word of God based on His truth. They're just human hopes, and they're all good ones. In Job 8.15, and, and Job's an interesting story as you read it, and it's true. It's based on truth. It's not some allegory as, quite frankly, many, most even uh, theologians, liberal people teach it that way, liberal theologians. It's an allegory. It's a pretend, but can it ever happen? But they teach that about most things in the Bible now. And Job didn't sin. We know that he was innocent. We know that he was innocent. He proclaimed his innocence throughout. And, and God knew that. He just allowed Satan to wear him out for a season. And wear him out, he did. But in Job 8.15, after some verses that talk about the fact that the reeds in the marsh need the marsh to grow. You know, trees can't grow. They'll wither and die. Grass will wither and die apart from water or being nurtured and fed. Well, in Job 8.15, which is a verse after those, it says this. So in the same way, or so are all the paths of people, of those who forget God. The hope of the godless will perish. All these hopes that people have, 
perish apart from God. And I'm talking about God with a capital G, Yahweh, Adonai, uh, El Shaddai, uh, all the names of God that we go through here, the God of the Bible who reveals himself here to us, all these other hopes perish because they're based on either other people acting right, being right, or me being able to rise above all those other people and stuff to be great and accomplish all these wonderful things. And by the way, some people can do that. Some people do that very, very well. I mean, it's amazing what they accomplish apart from God. The human spirit is incredible. Why? Because God created it that way. God created it that way. God put that spirit in us. He put those talents and gifts in us. And he wants to nurture them and see them developed to the fullest. They do. But our hope comes not from that or our accomplishments, because there's not a single person I know playing in the NFL, pastor that with Tom Brady. They always talk about him all the time, right? He's 44 years old now. And he's taking good care of himself and trains well. He's He's an outstanding example, the best ever, of a professional athlete really, you know, beating the clock, so to speak. But even with that, won a Super Bowl last year. He, what, maybe next year, following it, he's got many years left to go. It just doesn't work that way, you see. And so if all your hope is in what you do professionally, well, one of these days you're going to get fired. You might be uh, fortunate enough to retire, which is more and more difficult to do today. People don't want you around that long. It costs them too much money. Our hope must be in God. And so in Ephesians 5, 6, Paul wrote this. Let no one deceive you with empty words, deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, I put that in this context because in Paul's time, and then if you read John, the apostle John wrote last in the, the 90s AD. He was probably pushing 100 years old, certainly in his 90s because he was close to Jesus' age, and here he lives. Jesus dies in 33, or 30 to 33 A.D., and here it is 90 to 95 A.D., and John hasn't written yet. That's why his, his uh, gospel and his three epistles are not considered in the synoptic gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more similar. John wrote last and, and looked back at those and said, I don't need to write that again. And so he wrote different things in different ways. He talked more about false prophets and false teachers than anyone else. I taught you a series last summer on the book of the first epistle of John, uh, one through five. And you need to go back and watch. It's really good. But there's a lot of it. Probably the main theme is talking about false teachers, false prophets. Our world's full of them today. Our nation's full of them today. Our televisions are full of them today. Some churches are full of them. They're false teachers. They're not teaching the God of the Bible. They're trying to give you a hope based on your performance, based on something magical that's going to happen based on some prosperity nonsense, if you'll give this much or do that, or you'll just ask God to do this, and he'll, you'll be prosperous and healthy, and you can, it's, it's unbelievable what people get duped into. That's why in the Bible, we're called sheep, and Jesus the shepherd, because sheep are not known to be the brightest animals on the planet, and they are not. False teachers given false hope. It was rampant in the biblical times, in Jesus' times, but especially after Christ, people started making up all kinds of things, you see, giving people false hope, false doctrine. A lot of that was going on. Paul warned about that. I want to segue into the last comments I have with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4.16. He said this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, what I can see there, 
what's in front of me, but on what is unseen, unseen. Since what is seen is temporary or temporal, fits well with what we're talking about. What is seen is temporary or temporal. What is unseen is eternal. And when he's talking about things unseen, what's he talking about? What's the key word there? It's faith. It's faith. Faith believes in what it cannot see, the definition in Hebrew. So it, the faith is what we can't see. It's believing those things we can't see, and we still believe. That's faith. That's what it takes to become a Christian. We can't see. I've never seen Jesus. I never, didn't see the cross, didn't see the death, didn't see any of those things, didn't see the resurrection, didn't see him those 40 days after the ascension. I've never seen him. I've never seen God. I've never seen the Holy Spirit. I believe. I am sold out. I am a sold out believer. That's faith. My hope is based on that faith and the reality of who God is, who Jesus is, and what he offers us. In Romans 15, 4, Paul wrote this, probably the most appropriate words I could use to help wrap this up. He said, for whatever was written in earlier times was for our instruction. And remember, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, exquisitely trained, one of the smartest men in the Pharisees, this young up-and-comer going around persecuting Christians because he thought they were a bunch of heretics and blasphemers, and that's what he was supposed to do. He thought he was serving God, but he knew the law. He knew everything that had been written up to the point in Scripture. He called it Scripture, but the Bible wasn't put together as a book until hundreds of years later, hundreds of years, but he refers to it as Scripture. He said all that stuff that was written before was for our instruction, so that through what? perseverance, perseverance, hanging in there through faith, and the encouragement of these scriptures, we might have hope, hope. Your hope and my hope is in the word of God and the promises because we know by faith they are the truth. And that gives us hope. There's a verse that um, I memorized years ago. In fact, I used it a couple of weeks ago, John 16, 33. Jesus said this. He said, he's talking to his disciples that these are the last words. This is the last time they're together. And he's trying to encourage them and give them comfort and hope, trying to give them both. And he said, I've said these things to you so that in me you might have peace. Peace is a result of having comfort and having hope. Then we have peace. He told the disciples, I've said all this stuff to you. He'd been teaching them chapter after chapter as we read it. But just for a long time in the upper room after the dinner, washing of the feet, all those things, Judas leaves, continues to teach. He taught him all the way, you know, through until he finally was arrested in the garden. But he said, I've said these things to you so that you may have peace. He said, look, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, trouble, problems, issues, tragedies, disasters, terrorists, mean people. Um, all the things you can think of that you despise or hate or scare you to death. He told him, you're going to have all those things. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. And at that point, they didn't really understand that. But on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, some call Easter Sunday, they got it. And when the Holy Spirit came on them in that upper room, those days later when they're gathered together after his ascension, and he promised I'm going so the Holy Spirit can come. They really got it. Because the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit came over them and they understood, wow, now we get what it says. I've overcome the world. 
He has overcome the world. There is nothing, nothing that he hasn't overcome that he won't give us the power and strength of the Holy Spirit to overcome ourselves. So, Christian, let your comfort, let your comfort come in what you know to be the truth. You were born again in Christ because you believe these things are true and what he said was true and what he said he did, he did do. And he made a promise to you and I both that he would give this comfort and peace. And the hope that we have is eternal hope, knowing that he's going to return or he's going to call us home through death. One or the other. He's coming first. He's calling us home. It doesn't matter to me which one sooner the better, as far as I'm concerned. So, Christian, you rest in that comfort and that hope and share it with someone else. Share it with someone else. Stop being afraid to do that. A cup of cool water is fine, but they're going to get thirsty again. Offer them the living water of Jesus Christ, the living Christ, the resurrected Christ. Offer them that hope that only comes, that eternal hope that you can hold on to all the way through death, all the way through death. Any other hope or silly words we can tell them won't last any time. Only hope of Jesus Christ and in Christ is eternal. And those of you, <clears throat> someone I believe is always listening, watching, or finds this at some point in time, YouTube, or I don't know how. That's up to the Holy Spirit. I just know that he tells me to close this out this way every time. Because I spend a lot of time praying and weeping over lost people. I do. For the reasons I shared with you Sunday night about this devil, this Satan that's real, and demons that are real, and hell that is real. It's all real. And you can deny it all you want to. It's all real. And you're going to have a meeting face-to-face -face with the Lord Jesus one way or the other. And you're going to be a sheep or a goat, which means you're going to be born again in Christ as a sheep. Or you're going to be a goat. And he says... I never knew you. Depart from me, I never knew you. You don't ever want to hear those seven words. I taught a message not too long ago called the seven scariest words in the Bible. Those are them, and you don't want to hear that. And so what I'm pleading with you to do, pleading with you to do, is to realize that you are lost. You're without comfort and no chance of it. You're without hope and hopeless forever apart from Christ. But if you will simply admit the fact that you are a sinner and screwed it all up like I have and so many others, it's, Lord, I need a Savior. And you're the one. You're the only one. And he is the only one. And my prayer is that you recognize that. Confess your sin, repent, and just receive him as Savior. It's so simple. Children do it. They receive it because their hearts are tender and open and broken by the sin in their lives, just like yours should be if you're not born again in Christ. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And let these words of comfort and hope fill the hearts and minds of born again Christians, fill them up to overflowing so that we are just joyous and we want to go out and share that cup of cool water who is Christ the living water. We want to go out and share the reason for the hope that we have and it is Christ alone. It's eternal hope. It's the only lasting hope. And God, I pray you to break the hearts of those who need you as Savior. Mm. For Christ's sake, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week.